Good morning, church. You can be seated. A couple of weeks ago, there was a group of us from here and actually from other parts of the country that I took a mission trip and we went to Haiti. And last week during announcements, I had the opportunity to introduce you to somebody and I made him stand up and do a 360. It was quite a pirouette. Uh, and uh, and I want to I reintroduce him. Uh, Mark, would you come up? Now, I've known this man for a number of years, and, uh, and I, I love this guy. <laughs> and, uh, and this man loves the Lord, and he loves missions. I mean, he has a passion for missions. And if you know the backstory, about 13 years ago, um, when I didn't want to go on a mission trip and was scared to death of even leaving the country, frankly, didn't have a passport, then you didn't need one, right? <laughs> um, and Mark said, Bill, I'd like you to go on a mission trip. Uh, and I said, thanks. <laughs> but I think I'm busy that weekend. Um, and, and he said, well, pray about it. And I didn't. <laughs> and the following week, this man came to me and he said, Bill... I'm not asking you to go on this mission trip, Bill. The Lord has spoken to me, and I'm telling you, you are going on this mission trip. And I did. And it changed my life. Uh, and he has been uh, just a cherished brother in the Lord ever since. And this morning, Mark, because of his passion for Christ and for missions, is going to share a little bit in word and pictures of this mission trip that we just came back from in Haiti. Amen? Amen. Go ahead. I'm not going to stand up there. So, um, I want to read uh, just a verse of scripture. Um, isn't Jesus amazing? I, I, I just am uh, overwhelmed by the the love, the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, Jesus, to your glory. So, um, I want to read a verse of scripture first. This is from John sixteen thirty three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace. In the world you will have tribulation and distress and suffering. But be courageous. Be confident, be undaunted, be filled with joy, because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory is abiding. That's John 16:33. So John shared this with his uh, disciples in the upper room. This was the day before he was to sacrifice his own life. And it was um, one of the clearest times that, that Jesus told his disciples about what was to come, about his own death and his resurrection, and about what life would be like for them after his death, how they would just grieve his death, not even understanding at the time, but when he resurrected, that they would then know and they would receive the Holy Spirit and that they would be given power to spread the gospel to testify to who Jesus was to the world. Um, he gave them that, in that discourse, those three or four chapters in John, that new commandment, to love one another. Um, he told them that you are going to be in the world, but you are not of 
the world. Um, that was his message to those disciples. And I think it sets the stage for what I want to share, which is really just setting the stage for what Bill is going to share after me. Um, so I want to talk to you about Haiti. Um, I want to talk to you about Haiti from two different perspectives. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Haiti is a very uh, complicated country. Um, the best way I can describe Haiti is that absolutely nothing in Haiti is easy. Nothing. I, I, I seriously sat down and thought, is there anything I can think of that goes on in Haiti that I have either done or seen that is just easy to do? And the answer is no. There is just absolutely nothing in life that is easy in Haiti. Um, working is not easy in Haiti. Um, the unemployment rate um, averages between 35 and 40 percent in Haiti constantly. It's even higher among young men. Um, finding work, and even when they are able to work, the type of work that they can do is nothing related to anything you might conceive of going to work uh, during the day. It just is n nothing like that. Working is not easy in Haiti. Um, most, there are 60% of Haitians live on less than two U.S. dollars a day. That is their life, day in, day out. Two dollars a day. Year after year after year, 60% of the 10 million people who live in Haiti live on less than $2 a day. And they are faced with, by and large, Western prices. If they go to the, there aren't grocery stores, but if you go out to buy something, you need to buy, a, we, when we were down there, we bought tires for a vehicle that we, the pastor we were visiting was using. The tires cost the same thing you'd pay going down to a tire shop in, here in Ventura. So they face Western prices on meager income. Uh, working and living in Haiti is not easy. Eating in Haiti is not easy. Um, most of the people that we deal with, from children to the elderly, are, are pleased if they find one meal a day. Um, living in Haiti is very subsistence, and so to have one meal a day is really a blessing in Haiti. Breathing air in Haiti is not easy. Um, when we were down there just a couple of weeks ago, the dust and the, the fires that burn, there are no sanitation services, so all the garbage is either just strewn around everywhere or occasionally it's put into big piles and then just burned right on the city streets or in the neighborhoods, just constantly burning piles of trash and dust and wind. Breathing is not easy in Haiti. Housing is not easy in Haiti. Kathy and I went down to Haiti last December, and we were able to visit um, a little girl, Serafina, that we sponsor through uh, Compassion International, and we went to her house. And uh, Serafina has six other brothers and sisters and her mom and dad, and they live in one room um, where all that's in there are just beds, and pretty much the rest of their lives are lived outdoors, um, cooking and bathroom and hanging out and doing anything else because there's eight of them who all live in a room that's about 10 by 10. Um, housing is not easy anywhere in Haiti. Transportation's not easy. Most people walk 
Um, there are very few private vehicles that anybody owns. Only the richest people own a vehicle in Haiti. So they have, um, they have tap-taps, which are old, broken-down pickup trucks that you can ride in the back of for a small amount of money. A lot of motorcycles you can hop on the back. Those are called taxis that you can take a ride somewhere. But most people walk. Um, everywhere you go, you walk. Um, transportation in Haiti is not easy. I talked about sanitation. There's very little infrastructure. 20% of everyone who lives in Haiti has any type of sanitary infrastructure, uh, flushing toilet, running water. 80% um, of the country does not. Um, and that just turns into poor water and sewage and garbage everywhere. Um, sanitation in Haiti is not easy. Um, Haiti is really defined by, unfortunately, corruption um, from the highest levels of the government down to the local police. Um, there's just corruption everywhere. Your whole life is just confronted, even as Haitians, with corruption over and over and over again. And that really results for many Haitians in a life of desperation and a life of hopelessness. That's really just the nature of life in the country of Haiti. So I want to turn a corner, though, and I want to talk to you about Haitian Christians. I want to talk to you about what believers are like in the country of Haiti. Uh, so in the face of everything I just described to you, um, Haitian believers are the uh, simplest, most, most faithful, loving, joyful people I've ever met in my life. Um, because, you know, the only way I've been able to kind of process it and understand it is because they don't have anything else. <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't spend any time thinking about where am I going on vacation this summer? Um, where am I going to eat out this weekend? Um, what kind of car do I want to buy next? Um, what daycare is my child going to go to? They, they just don't have any of those things to think about or care about, or be concerned about. Their lives are just getting through each day and staying alive. But Christians, the believers, those who have given their lives, who have found salvation in Jesus in Haiti, are joyful people. And I mean that with, that, with all my heart, just to see them in their daily life, let alone when they get together to worship the Lord corporately as the body of Christ. They are simple, but joyful and faithful people. They love celebration. They love praise. Um, everywhere I've gone in Haiti, there is a group of people up and maybe a small group or a very large group at 5 a.m. every single morning, seven days a week. They're at church and they are praising the Lord. They are praying. They are celebrating what they have in Jesus Christ. They are prayers. Um, when you go to a church service in Haiti or you just get together with Haitians, they are praying. And they don't, not just a prayer, they pray on and on and on. A prayer of celebration, prayers of joy, prayers of petition, prayers of thankfulness over and over again. They are a thankful people for who Jesus is in their lives. They are patient. They are long-suffering people. Some of that, honestly, I think just has to do with the circumstances in which they live. Um, what I think of when I think of that is we, when we go down in July, hold medical clinics. And uh, often we'll have a lot of elderly people who will come to these clinics. They'll, we start probably, we try to start about 8 a.m. They'll be there at 5 a.m. 
um, open up the church, and they will sit there from 5 till we even start at 8. And then we may not get to them till 11 o'clock. They will just sit there patiently, um, talking with one another, or just praying for hours and hours and hours. Just people who are long-suffering and patient people because of, of their hearts for Jesus and because of their circumstances. They are kind, they are generous, and they love one another. Um, so I want to just read that verse from John again. Jesus said to his disciples, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have perfect peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have distress. You are going to have suffering. But be courageous. Be confident. Be undaunted. Be filled with joy. Because I, Jesus, have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished. My victory is abiding. Lord, uh, thank you. Thank you for coming, Lord, into this world. Thank you for the victory that you have given us in this world. Thank you that you conquered sin, that you conquered death, and that you have given us life, and you have given us joy and freedom in your spirit and in your name, Jesus. So, Lord, right now I just pray for my brother Bill. Pray that your word would come through him and that our hearts would be open to what you have to say to us today, Jesus. Amen. We went to Haiti. And the purpose of our trip in going to Haiti was um, to come alongside a ministry there. And it's kind of a homespun ministry. And, um, and Mark, you guessed it, said, Bill, we're going to Haiti. And, and, and so I, I didn't have much of a choice but to say yes. But, but this time I wanted to. You see the passion in this man? You see the passion for Jesus and the passion for people, hurting people? We got to Haiti, you see. And, and, and we realized right away that this is a very broken place. Broken in a way that you can't even imagine. The purpose for us to go there was to come alongside this ministry that has been there for quite some time and to see if there was something that we could do to help them. That's, that's kind of the American church's way, isn't it? We thought that we were going to be going down to see if we could help the church, this ministry specifically in Haiti, to come alongside them because they, 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 they actually, amazing things, God is doing amazing things in Haiti through this particular ministry and we were going to be introduced to the, to the, to the pastor that I'll, I'll share about him in just a minute, but, but, but amazing things are happening there and, and we thought we were going to go down and our purpose was to come alongside them and to see if there was something we could do, maybe in helping them with, with, with buildings. And we got, because they, they, they got... They got no buildings. Church, there are people down there that are meeting on, on Sunday uh, right now. They're meeting there right now because their church lasts four or five hours. <laughs> Amen? Uh, but, but they meet in, in buildings, and there's no, there's, but there's no walls. Um, maybe, maybe they just meet to stay out of the sun. They meet under the shade of a tree. So our purpose was to go to Haiti because Mark said, listen, I think that there's something we can do. So we enlisted the help of our brother from down the street at the Baptist church. He's a contractor, Joel Griffin. And he came along because uh, I've done a lot of building with Joel. 
in Mexico and Africa. And so, and so Mark thought it was a good idea that he assembled his team together. And we're going to go and we're going to support Pastor Sabian. Now, Pastor Sabian has this ministry in Haiti and it's called EBAC. E-B-A-C. EBAC. Or is it EBAC? It's ABOC. I, I don't speak Creole, so, you know, I spent a week not understanding a thing that was said. And ABOC stands for Evangelical Baptist. That's not the part that I like. The part that I like is the AC. Army of Christ. <laughs> That's the name of his ministry. We meet this man, and he's a Haitian man, and he's a, he's a pretty tall drink of water. In fact, I'd say he's like NBA tall. And so I spent the week talking to Sabian like this. Of course, I guess when you're 5'6", everybody's tall. But, but he's a humble man, and we met him at the airport, and, we, and we, we, we got to know him. And we drove from the airport uh, in this little yellow school bus, and, and I got to tell you, Taking one look at that little yellow school bus, I knew we were in for an adventure. Because <laughs> like, I, I wasn't sure that that little yellow school bus was going to get out of the parking lot at the airport. And I had, of course, no idea where we were going. Mark was very intentional about this trip. And so for Joel and I, uh, he didn't tell us where we were going or what we were going to be exposed to. Our purpose to go was to see if we could help Sabian in this ministry because they need help. They need building help. They don't have anybody that knows how to build anything. They don't have money for buildings. They don't have expertise for building. And they don't know how to get a building done. And so, uh, so well, we could do that. can we? We could do that. So, so we go. Uh, and, and the drive from the airport to the Ebok base... <clears throat> don't know that I've ever experienced anything like this. The mass of humanity, the dirt, the trash, the filth, the, the, the brokenness, the, the drive itself was overwhelming. Just getting to where we were going was overwhelming. And I've seen a few things in my life, but I had never seen anything like that. And then we got to the Ebok base where you go in and everything is walled in Haiti and they have a big metal gate. And so boop, boop, the, the, the horn honks on the bus and, there's, and the gate's just like magically open. So there's a guy, there's a gate tender there and he opens the gate and we go into the place where we're going to be. That's going to be like our base of operation. You know what? We got on the inside and it was really no different than the outside. There was chaos. There was just people everywhere. The buildings are falling apart. It's dirty. There's water running down the, down the. Uh, I guess it's a driveway. It's just a, it's just dirt. And I thought we were going to go to the base, and I would be. I, I thought that was going to be a place of security and safety, and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be so chaotic and broken. And yet, but it, but but it, but it was. I had this preconception of what it should be like, but it wasn't like that at all. And Pastor Sabian, he's a quiet man, and he's a humble man, and I think he just wanted us to experience that. Now, Mark had experienced it before, but we hadn't, and, and i, I, I got to tell you, uh, the truth be known, um, I didn't know whether to stay or just run. Seriously. It was so overwhelming what we were observing. 
the burning trash in the streets, the raw sewage that's running down, and, these, and the people that are everywhere. And it, it's broken, and there's people. You can see that there's hopelessness in the face of the people that you're running across. It, it was, it was, overwhelming is the only word that I can use for it. It was overwhelming. But then something very interesting happened. We had dinner with Pastor Sabian, and we're trying to get to, to, to know him and see, what, do you, what are your needs, Pastor? He is also a doctor, by the way. And this is what we find out. He is a 74-year-old man that's working 16 hours a day, seven days a week, spreading the gospel, healing people in a medical clinic at this place where we're staying, that they come at 5 o'clock in the morning and they line up because they know that this man is going to take his time to pray over them and to heal them. And if they don't have any money, which they don't, they get an invoice. And we would say, it's comped. They come for healing. See, they, they think they're coming for some physical healing into this place. But, but no, once you get to know Pastor Sabian, no, it's, it's spiritual healing that they need. And he starts there. And then inside the walls of this, of this gate that we go into, there's, a, there's an orphanage there. There's like, what, 70, 80 kids? 70, 80 kids. And... and um, I don't know how many kids you all had, but can you imagine a family with 70 or 80 kids? And they're like from this big to, to, to this big. And uh, see, that alone is probably, in my eyes, is chaos. But, 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 but it's, it's chaotic in this place. And there's kids running all over the place. And then you find out there's a school there, too. So they got an orphanage, they got a clinic, they got a school, they got some housing, they've got, um, I mean, and, and it's crazy. And by the way, uh, the first buildings that we looked at were, we looked at at, at, at the orphanage, and by the way, and there's, there's no indoor plumbing. And they have electrical lights and a light bulb hanging down from the ceiling in some rooms. It's dark in there because, you see, the power's not on, but every just once in a while. And they have, they have generators there, but most of them are worn out. They don't work anymore. They just warn them out. And um, in the boys' side, by the way, because there's no running water and there's no plumbing in their dormitory, uh, the shower is outdoors, cold water shower, just a pipe that comes out of a brick wall. Um, and they have, a, they have a, a, a latrine out the back, but I, didn't, I wasn't brave enough to, to look in it. Um, I just wasn't. At least the girls had some indoor plumbing, but, but, but it, was, it was a mess by my standards. So I thought right away, well, I, we can help with this. My first thought was, maybe we can just scrub things up. Pastor Sabian has been in this place for 45 years. And he, he grew up as a Catholic, and then he came to the Lord, and he received Jesus when he was a teenager. When he was 27 years old, the Lord put it on his heart to start this ministry. One man answering the call of God, starting a ministry, and he also was becoming a medical doctor at the time. And so he thought that that's what a great way to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in Haiti to a hurting people. And this was 45 years ago. And in that 45 years, this is what I learned about what this, this humble man, Dr. Sabian, Dr. Pastor Sabian, this is what God has done through this man in this ministry. It's very difficult to, to process all of this because I'm a very comfortable person. In his discomfort, you see, what God has done because of his steadfastness, 200 churches have been planted through the Ebok ministry. 200! That's crazy. 
200 churches. And in those 200 churches, 85 of them have schools. And the pastors that have been called to the pastorate there in Haiti have come out of the ministry that God has given this man. This man that sits in the back of the bus. This man that eats rice and beans, the same as the orphans. This man, if there is not enough to eat, he forgoes food so that others can have something to eat. This is a man that there wasn't enough places to sleep while we were there. And so he gave up his room and slept on the couch. Now, I sat on that couch. The couch was difficult to sit on. This lumpy, bumpy thing. But he slept there. And I was starting to get a picture that maybe when we were in Haiti, the whole point was maybe not to be looking at these buildings. I, I think God was starting to show us something a little bit different. And so, and so when we had opportunity to go look at churches, what happened was we went out to, to the field. And I have to share this with you. We went to the field and they wanted to show us the best church. So we, we rode for an hour over roads that if you go more than 20 miles an hour, you, it's, it's dangerous. Uh, the roads in Haiti are, are not much more than a goat trail. Uh, and we had a four-wheel drive vehicle and we needed it. <laughs> Amen? And we got to this church. It's the best church of all the 200 churches. They wanted to show us what the best was. And we got there and actually it was pretty nice. It had a, it had a roof and, it, and they're big, it's bigger than this. And it was, it was a weekday, and it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And we showed up to this church. Of course, there aren't any cars in the parking lot because there's no parking lot. And there's no cars. And, and so here's all these white people, and we come into the front door of the church, and we're like, you know, we're just, oh, we are clueless. And we open the door of the church, and it's full of people. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday, it's full of people. And the pastor is up there. Check this out. The pastor is up there in a suit. He's wearing a suit, Richie. I'm just saying. And Mark said the illiteracy rate in this country is somewhere between 70 and 90 percent of people can't read. There's one Bible in this church. Wooden seats. A couple of tables. No electricity, one Bible, nobody turned around when all the white people walked through the door there because they were sitting on the edge of their seat. They were intimate with every single word of God that was being spoken. You get it? They were hanging on every word. They didn't turn around and even look. We, we weren't a distraction at all. I knew right then and there God was going to start speaking to us on this trip to Haiti. All of a sudden, it wasn't about the building. Because then we went on another trip, and we went all around the countryside, and we looked at buildings that were half falling down, half finished, half uh, in tatters. We saw a lot of stuff. And then God gave us the opportunity to go to a pastor's conference there for one day. 35 pastors from these 200 churches were at a university building that Pastor Sabian had had built. And I use the term very loosely when I say university and building. Very loosely. 
architect the building, part of it was there was a stairway going up to a second story, and uh, and he'd been there before, so he he just jumped right on the stairway and, wa- and walked right up. And I looked at the stairs and I looked up the and I, and I thought, I don't know <laughs> if there's more than one of us on that stairway. I'm not sure it'll hold up. We went to this pastor's conference, and so and so when we get to this pastor's conference, it was it was a morning. It started at nine o'clock, but Pastor Sabian couldn't be there because he was at the clinic, and somebody somebody was desperately in need of spiritual food at the clinic, and he stayed, so he didn't show up. All the pastors were there, and you know what happened? The so we're sitting in the back. And there are all these pastors in the front, and they're waiting for Pastor Sabian because there's a, there is an American missionary that's going to be doing the teaching, and they need an interpreter, and Pastor Sabian is the interpreter, but he's not there because he's at the clinic because there was a more important pressing need. There was a man there that was spiritually dead, and Pastor Sabian wanted to minister to him. And so the 35 pastors and all the rest of us waited. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we'll just wait. But that's not what happened. What happened was there was an accordion there that I found out later happened to belong to Pastor Sabian, but only half of the accordion worked. The keys on the accordion on this side, they didn't work, but the the buttons on, I don't know anything about accordions, but the buttons on this side, see, they did work. Those are the chords, apparently. And somebody, one of those pastors picked it up. He didn't even know how to play it, and he pushed the button and and went, because that's how an accordion works. And and i got to tell you, Something amazing happened. These pastors just spontaneously broke out in song and hymns. And the first song that they sang, spontaneously, because they couldn't get started with what they were there to do, which was to, which was to bring in the Word of God into them so that they could take it back to their congregations in these churches spread around all over the country. They broke out spontaneously in song. The first song was a hymn. I couldn't sing it in Creole, but guess what? I recognized the tune, and so the three white guys were in the back, and all of a sudden, you just get caught up in it because of the spontaneity of it. The Spirit of God was so alive in these pastors, in this place, that you couldn't help but just get caught up in it. I mean, we were having church. That's what was going on. And you know what? This is what I was learning as I was, as I was sitting in the back and I'm thinking about, because what am I doing? I'm looking at the floor because it's a concrete floor, but it's all broken up because the concrete is like junk. And so, and the benches are wood and some of them are broken and there's tables there that were handmade and half of those are broken. And these men that God has called are in this place to learn more about the word of God so they can take it out to their congregations. But the pastor isn't there. And so without hesitation, they just break out in spontaneous song to praise God. I'm telling you, there was a praise and worship service there for about an hour because the pastor wasn't there yet. And it was glorious. It was glorious. You know why? Because it wasn't sanitized. And it's like, Lord, what are you showing me, man? Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is pretty nice. Have you noticed? It's clean. Have you seen the cross? It's pretty cool, huh? And there's the microphones. Did you notice those? They're wired. 
the lights are pretty nice too. And there's a there's a thing on the back wall there. It's called a thermostat. We can adjust the temperature here and be really comfortable. It's pretty cool. It's pretty sanitized, isn't it? Because we like it that way. Don't you like it? I do. I like to be comfortable. God is showing me that in their discomfort and everything that is broken in that place, they have, there is an aliveness that I've never experienced before. We're having church. And these men are just exploding. There's something going on there that I have never experienced. And it's, it's spontaneous. It's spontaneous. So you know what I want to do right now? I want to spontaneously break out in song. Can we do that? Yeah. Guys, will you come up? Will you do a song? Can we just sing? Guys, can we feel so free in this place that we can just peel the layers back? Can we just be like Haitians all of a sudden? Because when we go outside the doors here, see, nothing's really broken. It's just not. <laughs> so why don't we sing? And if you're so inclined to be so free in your singing that you want to raise your hands, go ahead. And if you want to just sit, go ahead. It's okay. You could just sit. And if you want to get on your knees like some of the pastors at that place were doing, if you want to go ahead and get on your knees because you just want to pray and praise God that you have the freedom, the freedom to just be who you are in Christ. You see, that's what I was learning from these people. They were just free, you see. The pastors were free. And they broke out spontaneously. It wasn't on the agenda. Things weren't going correctly. And so they were just free to break out in song. What do you want to sing? What do you want to sing? Let's sing. Let's sing. God, thank you, God, for who you are. And as we prepare, we're going to prepare for communion now. You could sit, or you can stand, or you can kneel. Be free in this place today. I want to go to communion today, and I want to share with you what happened ultimately on this trip where we thought we were going to be, be helpful, the church in America, helpful to the church in Haiti to help them with buildings. And we went to church two weeks ago on Sunday. We were at church, you see, and we went there and we came and church starts at 10 and we got there at about 9.15 where we were there with Pastor Sabian and, and is often the case when I stick my foot in my mouth. We got there and the place was electric. Nobody was outside the church. But this church, this concrete building with a with a metal roof that if it, if it rained, everybody was going to get wet inside there. But there was, there was an explosion in this place. And when we got there, I asked Pastor Sabian, I said, are we late? Because they were singing, just like, just like we just sang. But it was 45 minutes before church starts. And this is what Pastor Sabian said to me. 
he looked at me and he smiled. And he said, Bill, they've been here for an hour. In spontaneous worship to their Lord Jesus. Because they're grateful and they're thankful in their poverty and in their circumstances. These people come out of slavery and bondage, you know. They have nothing, but they have Jesus. And when they worship in spirit and truth, it was transforming for me. You see, now I know. I know why they worship for two, three, four hours. They don't want to leave. They're there an hour and a half before church starts, and they're there for an hour after it's done. They don't want to go. They just want to be in the presence of the Lord and one another. There was a freedom in that place that I had. I just personally, you know, our faith is experiential. I had never experienced that before. And our brother from down the street at the Baptist church, because Pastor Sabian said, missionaries, that's what they call us. Would you come up and say something to the church? And for the life of me, I can't remember what any of the other, there were seven of us. I don't remember what anybody said, but I remember what my brother Joel from down the street said. He said, you know, <clears throat> came to Haiti thinking that we were going to be helpful. And you know what I discovered in Haiti? We need your help. Thank you. Thank you, church in Haiti, that you showed us how to just be free. Just be free. There was a freedom in that place that I had never experienced before. And those people loved on us. All the while thinking that our job was to go there and love on them. Oh, God has just turned everything upside down in our lives, doesn't he? He just does that. And if you're in this place today, as we prepare to come to the table of grace, if you're in this place and you haven't experienced freedom, the ultimate freedom, and that is faith in Christ Jesus. If you haven't done that, I don't care. You've been coming to church for years and you just, you haven't been free to come to that place where you just rest in Christ Jesus because he said that he came to set us free. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians tells us this. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is here. There is freedom in this place. He also said that the Son sets you free and you will be free indeed. Paul in Galatians writes, he says, you brothers, that's the church. Do you realize that we were called to be free? We're called to be free. We can come to the table this morning, you see, in great confidence and great freedom. As believers, we come in confidence and freedom. So if you need to place your faith in Christ today, if you need to do it now, do it. Now's the time. And yet if you're here and you're a believer and you're going to come to the table of grace and freedom this morning, and maybe, maybe 
Like my misconception about going to Haiti and how broken it is, but before I found out that the believers there are way more free than I ever, I ever imagined. Maybe you're carrying something in this place today. Maybe you're in bondage to something. Maybe you just need to be set free this morning. And you know, Jesus is the only place that we have to go. It's the only place to Him that we can go for freedom. It isn't anywhere else. And these people whose heritage was slavery, and they live under tyranny and dictatorship, and their external circumstances are horrific, and yet they're free. So maybe before you come forward today, maybe you can leave something that you need to leave. Give it to the Lord. Maybe whatever you're in bondage to, maybe you can leave it at your feet today before you come up. Whatever it is, whether it's greed or whether it's lust or whether it's, it doesn't really matter what it is. Leave it there. Leave it behind. Jesus will take it if you ask him to. So this morning, we're going to come to the table and we're going to come free. Amen? Set it aside, church, and be free to come to the table of grace this morning. Whatever it is. And when you've been served at the table of grace, take it back to your seat. And know that if you need to leave something that you're in bondage to there, perhaps that when you get back, it will be gone. Do that in freedom this morning. Come to the table. Come to the, the table that Jesus told us to come to to remember Him. But today, maybe... Like for me, I will never take communion the same again. Ever. Because I know for me, a couple of weeks ago, I was set free by a group of people that I thought were in bondage. Not so much. Come to the table. Come this morning and come free. Amen? Go back to your seats and take the elements when you're ready. Seek the Lord for your freedom this morning. Come to the table of grace. Romans 6.4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Jesus, this morning as we remember you through communion, we also celebrate our freedom in Christ. We celebrate the biblical truth that we are new creations in Christ. That we have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And we can simply choose to appropriate 
what you've already said is true about us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We are free from sin. And we can truly walk in freedom and abundant life that you came to give. We love you so much. Thank you for our freedom in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a wonderful song, a declarative song called Step by Step. And, and I love this song in light of the message of freedom because here's the thing. When we leave here, and if you're going to choose to walk in freedom, here's the glorious truth. It's just one step at a time. It's just one step. Follow him one step at a time. Amen? Step by step. Let's stand up and de- declare our intention to walk in freedom.